Hey guys, Nick Burnett here. Just wanted to kind of give some information on why I joined the Patreon, why I'm part of the Dynasty Warzone uh, team. Downloaded the Dynasty Warzone podcast. It took one day. Joined the Patreon. Reached out to Memphis about a situation with one of my rosters. And the kind of feedback I got was, hey Nick, why don't you give me a call? Uh, we went down my roster and he helped me pull off a couple moves that put me ahead when I thought I was going to be in re rebuild mode this year. And that's just part of what comes with the Patreon. Uh, just tr uh, trade talks, just good interaction with guys that love fantasy football. Uh, whether it's 10 o'clock at night or 3 o'clock in the morning, there's always going to be fantasy football talk, whether it's redraft, whether it's dynasty. I joined a couple leagues with the Patreon members, and it's the same thing. Even in, even while we're drafting, we're still shooting ideas at each other. And if that sounds like something that you want to be a part of, pause the podcast now, join the Patreon, and join a, join a great fantasy football group but more like a fantasy football family what's happening everybody happy monday and welcome to the rookie rundown a division of the dwz fantasy football network i am your host it is memphis you can follow me on twitter at dwz memphis and on today's show we are gonna have angelo that's right angelo of angeloanalysis.com you can find that man on Twitter at Angelo underscore fantasy. Now, this guy was a huge hit the last time that he was on the show. He was on with us this time last year. He was telling us about, um, us about how much he loved guys like Clyde Edwards Elaire, guys like LaVisca Chenault. I am looking forward to hearing a handful of guys that he's uh, got his eye on this year going into the twenty. 21 off season. I'm going to grab him and my co-host Dallas Hyder at Salad Galore. That's Dallas backwards galore at Salad Galore. And we're going to go uh, for a quick spin around some rookie news. Just want to thank you guys. Everyone who has done a five-star review for the show. We are up to 210, almost 200 on iTunes. I cannot thank you enough with all sincerity on behalf of me Jerry, Kyle, Kyle, and just I, I'm going to miss somebody, so I'm just going to stop and just say thank you. Thank you for rating, reviewing, sharing, and subscribing the DWZ everywhere. It is the fastest way to help us grow, and that's what we're trying to do, and we are trying to grow our YouTube, and I said I would, I would have a little contest, and uh, man, you all have not disappointed, so here's the contest. If we can get to 500 subs, we're about a third of the way there, actually a little, little over, uh, I will do uh, what a lot of people won't. I'll give you time. And, you know, in the past, we gave away a signed DK Metcalf jersey. We've given away some other stuff. But here's what I'll do. I will host round one of your league's rookie draft on our YouTube channel. I'll be an MC, if you will, a master of ceremonies. And we'll stream it all here on the Dynasty Warzone YouTube channel. So we'll make a bonus pod out of it. And then once we're done, I will do a recap pod and I'll go full Mel Kuyper Jr. And I will hit you guys with grades and let you know how I thought everyone came out of the draft, how they improved their team, how they did not. And I'll even help your commissioner structure and formulate trades you know, like while, while a trade's going on, I can talk with the other owners and it will just be a kick ass couple of hours uh, of good time. 
So you're interested? You're damn right you're interested. So how do you get how do you get entered in this contest? It's probably the easiest contest you'll ever enter. You go to YouTube, you search Dynasty Warzone, you subscribe, notifications turned on. I get an email saying so and so has subscribed. We had Jay Hartman subscribed the other day. I think it was Noah Green subscribed. I'm doing this top of my head. So uh for, forgive my memory. But when you subscribe and notifications are turned on, I get an alert. I simply copy and paste that name into a note on my phone. Then when we go to do the drawing to see who wins, if we get to the 500, I put everything in the wheel of names. We'll spin the wheel. We'll get a winner. We'll contact the winner. And I'll host their draft. So super simple to get entered in this contest. Again, just go to YouTube. Subscribe. Notifications turned on to the Dynasty Warzone channel. Boom. You are in. So going to keep this super short and super sweet because I have two awesome guys waiting on me in Dallas and in Angelo. But uh, just a little heads up, if you're listening to this on Monday, Monday night we're going to do a little free agent dynasty dating game. We're going to try to play matchmaker and we're going to tell you where we think is the best connection for these free agents. Free agencies about 10 days away as of the recording of this show. And then on Tuesday, we're going to have a free agent roundtable. So a lot of free agent stuff over the next two days. Rookie stuff tonight. Last thing, if you're not on social media, you can check out the show, uh, Dynasty Warzone at Gmail. Again, you want to get a hold of me, maybe sign up to be on the contractor, Dynasty Warzone at Gmail. Just send me a quick email. How can we help? And uh, we'll do that. But if you are on socials, that's also cool, at Dynasty Warzone on IG and Twitter. And uh, there you go, five-minute open. Uh, we are going to hear a quick word from my boy Matt over at Hate Brand Goods. If you check out the website, the, H-V-I-I-I, thehate.com, that's the H and the Roman numeral for eight, H-V-I-I-I.com, and just check it out, man. These are my go-to workout shorts. You all know that by now. If you go to my personal Instagram, at Memphis185, you will see me working out in the world-famous goat shorts. And we're going to hear from Matt. But if you go to the website and you see anything you like, they've got water bottles, coffee mugs, coffee, uh, joggers, you name it. They've got a lot of stuff at Hate Brand Goods. And you can save money at your purchase if you use the promo code MEMPHIS at checkout. So check them out. Even if you don't see anything that, that you'll want to buy now, you know, j just shoot them an email and let them know Memphis sent you. But enough of that. Let's hear from Matt, promo code Memphis at checkout, and we'll get into the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy the rookie content, and we'll uh, talk to you real soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great Monday. It's Hate Brand Goods. That's uh, my company. That is what we've started. I hope you guys have checked it out. If you want to go over to the hate.com, hate for me means it's about self-improvement. It's this self-motivation through self-loathing, this, this bit of loathing of not tolerating your own bullshit, that little voice that says today's good enough or what we did's fine or no one's going to know that I'm taking today off. Like, fuck all that, man. I know. Like, I hold that standard. I'm accountable to me. And that's it. That's why I chase goals. I do it because of me. I don't do it because of what someone else is going to think of it or what someone else's approval is. And it's about holding yourself to that. The rest of that motivation can fade, but as long as you're in control of being able to make you do the shit you want to do, you're golden, man. So head over to the hate.com, use code and save yourself some cash. You 
All right, and here he is, as promised, back for his annual visit in the war zone. It is Angelo. When you're so cool, you don't even need a last name. You're just Angelo <laughs> at Angelo underscore fantasy on Twitter and the owner and proprietor of AngeloAnalysis.com. My friend, welcome back to the war zone. How you been? Man, I've been great. Uh, it, it's always fun making my annual visit here, but uh, I'm, I'm pumped, man. It's going to be fun. Now, I was here. I had the good fortune of being here during the inaugural kickoff of your web- website last year. I remember the beautiful picture of your main man, LaVisca Chenault. Uh, dude, what's going on at the website? Wh- wh- what are you promoting right now? I know I just saw today. I got my daily email. I guess I got my, the most recent email. Why Jamar Chase? Right. But uh, you can explain all the how I get those emails and how these people can potentially get these emails as well. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. I, right now with the website, it's kind of a two prong now. Before it was just, you know, we're, we're unveiling the Y series every week and, and hopping to different prospects and what they do well, what they don't do well, and, you know, kind of, kind of how do they fit in the NFL environment. Uh, but now one of the biggest changes to annual analysis is, you know, I presented um, the Ascension grading system, so AGS. Um, so that's basically just a tier-based grading system made up of film review and data analysis just essentially just to help mitigate risk while recognizing a prospect's career potential. You know, are they a gold jacket caliber player or are they just an above average NFL starter? So just looking at it from that perspective and being a little more holistic. So the grading system is 70% film, 30% analytics. So it has both aspects of what we are looking for um, when we evaluate players. You know, there's obviously the film community, the analytics community, um, but I think for me personally, like I use a process that uses both. Um, and that's what AGS is. And, you know, I guess in totality, you know, the, the system itself uses bonuses uh, for elite metrics and traits. So, for example, in this class, like Travis Etienne's accelerative quality. So he's the best accelerator in this class, the position, and one of the best since, that we've seen since Chris Johnson. So he's going to be scored appropriately because of that. So the bonus for um, for him is 1.5. So it's a out of five grading scale for for decimal. So he gets a 7.5 out of five. Right. So that will boost his overall score. But because that quality is deemed as, you know, elite at a very, you know, in a game of athletes who are all pretty elite. And so that's really unique in that capacity. Um, and even on the analytics side, you know, freaking like AJ Dillon's BMI, you know, that get, that gets a bonus because I mean, analytically that's a, that's an outlier in a good way. Um, it's in the 95th or above percentile. Um, how the grades are kind of, um, I guess, made up, it's, you know, 10 factors um, for film that make up a running back or receiver's overarching skill set. Uh, those are graded and used on like a five-point scale, like I said. And there's um, five analytic grades that are given to a prospect after declaration uh, into the NFL draft. So those five data points are charted and graded. Um, those are elements like college dominator, um, BMI. Um, and then the most unique aspect to that and what I'm really excited to bring to the table is the year over year film grades. So that's really what the Ascension grading system is, is called the Ascension for of evaluating guys like Bajan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, uh, Keishan Bouti, those guys and seeing the Ascension from their freshman year uh, all the way to their declaration to the NFL draft. And so putting a grade on those traits and magnifying them as the NFL does and then looking at those through a combination of uh, film analytics. Well, it sounds very high tech, and, and I love it. And that's why I need you smart people on here to help smarten me up uh, about these players. Now, I do have a question before we get into this, uh, what we call the good questions here. 
Um, with the analytics being a little bit, I don't want to say skewed, but last weekend, Dallas, my co-host who was not able to make it tonight, he, he and I talked about some of the combine metrics, quote unquote, air quotes, combine coming out of Exos. You know, how are you taking that this year? Uh, there was a, a chart posted by Mike Tannenbaum, former GM of the New York Jets, about how the, the pro day versus actual NFL combine speed could be off by seven one hundredths of a mile an hour. How are you using that in your, in your 30% analytics model? It's interesting because I actually don't use any of the speed and acceleration stuff from 40 time. Like I look at it all from play speed and, and accelerative qualities in terms of how, you know, for a receiver, for example, how they separate on vertical routes, things of that nature. But for me, I work in sport and human performance. We've talked about that a lot before, but it's kind of true because, you know, the pro days are different than the NFL combine in a sense. But a place like Exotes, which, which is a premier performance facility um, provider um, in North America, they're definitely doing it the right way. So there might still be some error because it's for the NFL combine, it is um, hand start electronic finish. Um, I don't know what the use of the Exos combines. I don't know if they came out and said, but that's kind of how it goes in terms of what we're seeing at Exos. When we're talking about college pro days, we don't really know what they're doing um, for their pro days in terms of the logistics. How are they, you know, how are they doing their timing? Um, so for me personally, I take around a 0.14 to 0.24 deviation. Um, 0.14 is pretty solid. That adds from like, if you, if you know they're using electronic timing like Exos is doing, um, but you don't know if it's, you know, a dual beam. Or if it's B, are they getting a hand start electronic finish? Are they getting, you know, electronic start electronic finish or what they're doing in that capacity? So that, that changes some things as well from a metric standpoint. But I use 0.14. Um, that, you know, guys like Talon Wallace and Rashad Bateman, you know, I wouldn't peg them as 4-3 guys, high 4-3 guys myself. But, I mean, you know, if you add on 0.14, they're low 4-5 guys, which sounds a little bit more like their wheelhouse. Um, but that's kind of what I use it for in terms of the combine itself and pro days. I don't really use a lot of that at all, for being honest. Um, I, the athleticism these guys display on the field of play is what really matters and counts. But it is interesting to see amongst their peers kind of where they are at percentile wise. Uh, if a guy's extremely low and then let's say he still gets drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, you know, why did they draft him that high if his metrics were so poor in that sense? Um, but it's it's all, you know, it, it's really interesting this year because, like you said, there's no combine, right? So everything is going to be virtual at Exos or at Alabama's Pro Day, Auburn's, et cetera. Um, we're going to really have to see um, what these prospects are putting out time-wise and take it all with a little bit of a grain of salt. All right. And, and I, uh, by the way, for those of you watching live on YouTube, this guy who just did a run-in, that is Dallas. He uh, he had the uh, the girlfriend issues. We've all been there, so so no harm, no foul there. And but I, I forgot to mention, I, I totally my fault. Poor hosting on my fault. I forgot about your strong background in sports and performance. C can you give us just a you know a quick background of what you do? Um, not necessarily just from like this rookies, but just in your in your day to day life with sports performance. Yeah, no, I mean I, I'm just super fortunate to be to be hands on with athletes and practitioners alike. So it's it's a blessing to me to be around um, high level athletes and see them move up close and help them and their coaches solve problems. So I get to work with a, an abundance of different athletes in different sports, um, different ages as well. You know, from like high school kids who are 
who are trying to make it collegiately, or you have your, you know, your high level collegians in the big 10, or you have your, um, you know, professional athletes in some senses. So that's kind of the unique thing about my day to day is I get to, I get to actually solve problems and help athletes solve problems. Um, for me, I, I was an athlete. We talked about that before too. Uh, I was a division one sprinter. So um, that's what I did. And so my day to day as a collegiate athlete was a little different than a college football players, but yeah, I, I, you know, did film room and that type of stuff. I sat in my coach's office, you know, watched different segments of my races, um, and learned from guys who are much faster and, and much better at, at coaching and, and, you know, doing all this stuff than I am. Um, but yeah, on a day-to-day basis, I use a lot of film, uh, take still shots, analyze different aspects of human locomotion. And I'm just a complete nerd with all of this. And it's just, it's fun to do with prospects as well. That is awesome. And Dallas, man, what's going on? How are you tonight? Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, Great to be in here. Uh, Kind of a long week last week. So I'm catching up a little bit this weekend. Uh, Had a birthday party yesterday. Other than that, ready to talk some football. All right, man. Well, this is one that I love because last year I did the, I'm going to cut up 30... I don't know, 35 sound clips and put everything together. And in the greatest rookie hits last year, Angelo was telling us about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and I put him in there with a double shot of LaVisca Chenault. But I got to know the guy. Give us the one rookie that you will not be leaving your rookie dynasty drafts without. And where where do you think he'll go in rookie drafts, and how soon will you be willing to uh, pull the trigger on him? Okay, I guess there's two. The the one is a kind of obvious one. That's Devonta Smith. Um, and he's also going to kind of come in as the most underrated prospect in this class, in my opinion. I think I think we're not high enough on his capabilities and what he can do. You know, first player to ever win the Blitnikoff, Maxwell, Walter Camp, and Heisman in the same season, and he did so at dominating the SEC at under 170 pounds. So he's an extremely extremely impressive player. And like I said on my profile on the website, it's he's. He's one of those guys who's in just a savant at the position. You know, he he knows how to get open. Um, he's great down the field. But it, enough about Devonta. The one guy that I'm not leaving drafts without, and value wise, is is going to be Tylen Wallace. Uh, I think he's extremely underappreciated with how well he did. You know, pre injury. You know, and then coming back from the injury and and still displaying the same level of confidence and his abilities beforehand. Um, he's a guy definitely, I think that I'm not going to leave my drafts without, especially cause I think he's going to be drafted in around two Oh five in my drafts. Uh, and that's probably pretty close to consensus. Um, but I would move up to two Oh one to take him. I, I'm really confident if he falls and guys, I know there's, there's guys in that same tier for me on AGS, you know, like Terrace Marshall, um, like Rondell Moore that I I like Tylen Wallace a ton and the value that he can he can be in rookie drafts, especially in Superflex. All right. Well, I, I have him in a one QB, so it looks like I've got to do some reevaluating on my own. I've got him at 14 overall, so that would be in the 204 range. So that's not, not too, too bad to one QB, not too far off. Uh, Mr. Dallas, you got any questions on Tylen Wallace? I know he was one of your guys. You gave like a little round of applause. Yeah, I'm a big Thailand guy too. Um, I'll be honest, the knee does concern me a little bit. I don't know how you feel about. So this is this is a conversation I've had with one of our uh, guys that listens in quite a bit, Craig, Coach Craig Sports. Um, his younger brother had to medically retire due to three ACL injuries in the same knee. 
Thailand has had two pretty significant knee injuries in the same leg. And so when you're looking at him, the production's there. Yeah, I completely understand that, like, you can't really take ACLs. They're kind of finicky. You can't really predict them. I get that aspect of it. But from a familial standpoint, some slight heredity research, like fragility of the ligaments in your knees is something to be concerned about. So I don't know how your injury take on him is going into the next level, specifically with the knee. He hasn't looked like he slowed down specifically this last year, but it's just something in the back of my mind where I'm high on him, but I'm a little bit uneasy compared to some other guys that have a clean bill of health. No, that's a really good point. I mean, honestly, it's one of those things where you just kind of have to look at it, how the NFL is going to view him medically. So is he going to be falling in drafts because are the medicals, you know, not going to check out? Um, that's for me what I, you know, what I look at when I evaluate prospects who have injury histories, like the Visca Chenault last year too. And we brought him up last year at similar points is he had a litany of injuries, right? None of them seemed like they had a high rate of reoccurrence. Um, and the NFL drafted him, you know, Jaguars drafted him in their early second round. So uh, if Tylen Wallace has early day two capital, I'm not as concerned, but let's say he's a guy that slips into, you know, let's say the late third round, let's say that I'm a little more concerned medically of how he really is um, in terms of, you know, issues um, stemming from the ACL injury. But I don't know, man, it's so tough with injuries now because it's it's hard to, you can't really predict the next one. So we can do the best job we can of saying this guy in ACL, this guy in MCL, you know, but they're injured until they're not. So it's it's tough, but I mean I'm still optimistic about Tylen Wallace. Excuse me, he came back and had a great, you know, a pretty really good 2020 20, campaign, um, and then he had a, a solid pro day from what I saw. Um, but that's a really good sign if you know if he was unable to participate at the pro day or or had you know flare ups during the season where he missed a ton of time or you know couldn't participate in the pro day. Um, and had to shut it down, then we're kind of looking at it like, okay, like he, there's something might be bigger going on here if he needs additional surgeries and, and whatnot. Well, I, I love that answer. We'll let the NFL tell us because if the NFL lets him go into late round three or even day three, you know, round four or later, that might tell us more. But we can always have our uh, our staff doctor. We can get Dr. Kyle, who's a doctor of physical therapy on. Maybe he can answer some of those questions. So, uh, Dallas, I'll give you that homework assignment. We'll get Dr. Kyle to come guest spot on this, and you can give us your uh, your five rookies that you have the most medical concerns with. All right, so so we're not leaving our draft without Tylen Wallace. Uh, give us the rookie you will not be drafting, and uh, why is he a pass for you? Uh, and is it because you think uh, he'll go too high in rookie drafts? Man, I, I think I think it is the guy I think is going to go too high, and I guess Travis Etienne. Uh, for me. Uh, he, he's really, really risky. Um, if he lands in a bad environment that doesn't have a, a well-blocked zone, a wide zone scheme, I think he's really going to struggle. Um, I see him right now, a lot of people are taking around 105, 106. Uh, and honestly, I'm taking, you know, I'm taking guys like Smith, Waddle, Bateman, and more um, over ETN. Uh, I like Javante Williams over ETN as well. Uh, I have ETN in that, you know, Pro Bowl tier in, in AGS, but he is a pretty big risk to me. Uh, I, I don't think he's even close to the player that Najee Harris is. And I think Javante Williams offers a little bit more of a, of a floor to him touchdown-wise because it does his work around the goal line. Um, Etienne has a lot to clean up when you look at his game, right? He is 
an explosive runner, really good during early acceleration, above average top end speed, but all of his qualities are predicated off of his ability to accelerate. If he is stuck in the backfield to make decisions and process information, he doesn't do well with that, right? And the NFL game is predicated off of being a really good processor at the running back position. And we've seen running backs come in the NFL as, you know, adequate processors or below adequate and struggle, you know, kind of taking off from their early career. Miles Sanders is one of those, the Philadelphia Eagles where, you know, when he was at Penn state, that was kind of the knock on him. He had a good rookie year um, with the Philadelphia Eagles, but now it's kind of like, can he be that bell cow guy, right? Can he be a 15 touch per game player? And that's the same question I have with ETN. Um, how long is it going to take from the kind of clean up these type of issues? And is that worth me spending a, you know, mid mid first round um, rookie draft pick on. And I think a lot of a lot of similar players like a Smith, who's who's a lot safer in my opinion than a guy like ETN, a guy like Moore who offers a bit more upside too. There are a guy like Williams who offers a better floor at the running back position. So for me, that's the one guy I'm probably not going to be drafting at cost. Um, if he starts to fall a bit in rookie drafts, I'd say 108 to 10 to the 110 range. Then I'm I'm be looking to acquire him more often. But um, at his current cost, he's a guy I'm I'm probably not going to be touching around 105 to 106. All right, before I throw it to Dallas for his follow up question, now you are at least the fourth analyst that I've either heard or had the good privilege of spoke of speaking to that have had Javonta Williams ahead of him, including Greg Cosell. Uh, Greg, Greg Cosell, 40 years at NFL Films. He has become a big Javonta Williams fan. Our own Matty, Matty Big Chest. He does all of our graphics that you can see here on YouTube. He was the first person that I really recall saying it. And I, I called him a blasphemer, but, but, but in the, uh, in the subsequent follow up to hearing that, it's like, man, this is starting to become more of a steady drumbeat and, and more good things about Javonta Williams. So, is he your RB two in this class? So it, it's funny because on film, so like on like on the ascension grades, it has the film grade, the analytics grade, and the overall ascension grade of the compilation of the two. Uh, and yeah, Williams is my RB two on film. Najee Harris runs away with it as RB one. He's in a tier of his own in that, right? But I mean, ETN's around RB. Four, RB5 in terms of film um, because there isn't a lot besides the one quality. You know, if you're going to be a running back in the NFL, you have to be a very well-rounded player. You have to block well. You have to catch the ball in the backfield well. You have to read wide zone well. You have to read inside zone well. You have to be, you know, be really versatile in terms of what you can do. He doesn't have that versatility in ETN. So I like him. I like, I mean, if he goes to San Francisco, you know, you're taking him at 104. Because he is the perfect Kyle Shanahan back, but he's not a guy you can kind of throw in anywhere and have success like a guy like Najee Harris. It's Najee Harris can play for all 32 NFL teams, and he's going to be successful because he's that good. Um, Javonta Williams as well is he's going to find a role on an offense that's going to use him um, in short yards on the goal line and being that um, primary ball carrier. But for ETM, we just have that question mark of, what is he going to be role wise, and how's how is his specific skill set going to translate to the NFL level? And it's those big question marks, like I said, that I'm like, I'm just, you know, I'm going to fade that a little bit and and let the cost kind of come down before I take a stab at it. All right, Dallas, any questions uh, to follow up on ETN before we go to uh, the next question? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more when it comes to landing spot because when I'm looking at the top five running backs consensus wise. <laughs> Etienne's the only one that I think is running 
like running back location specific that it's really going to shift your opinion on him one way or the other. Uh, we have concerns about Gainwell's weight, obviously, but his play style fits anywhere. Najee's play style fits anywhere. Michael Carter can be a satellite back anywhere. Like everyone else in the consensus top five conversation, there's not a, if he lands in the jets, it's going to be a horrible fit. And that's the thing that I'm concerned about. Same thing as you said, the straight line speed's amazing. He's got the pop plays. He, showed that he can catch, even though he still looks super nervous doing it to me. Uh, It's just one of those things I'm uncomfortable with him. But for me, I'm looking at the running back needy team specifically in the first couple of rounds. How would you feel about him in Atlanta specifically? I think that's a really interesting fit. And you're not the first one to say that, Dallas. And I think, you know, man, if you look at it, he's a player that is going to need more of a running back centric scheme sort of like the 49ers and Atlanta's one too because look who's their offensive coordinator Arthur Smith so that's why I like it (laughs) yeah so if if they take ETN that means he is going to be the guy and their scheme um, on the ground is going to be predicated towards what ETN does well so that I'm much more I'm on board with any running back who goes to Atlanta is going to be the primary ball carrier because of the success and the resurrection almost of Derrick Henry's career and what that looked like under Arthur Smith. So that'd be a fantastic landing spot. I mean, ETN to me is a, he's a moon or a basement uh, type player where he's going to either, man, you shoot for the moon, land in the stars and you have an absolute um, superstar running back and a fantasy, a fantasy superstar as well. Or you're going to get a guy who's going to frustrate the heck out of you on a week to week basis and provide some pretty, you know, like I said, frustrating inconsistency. But if he lands in Atlanta in particular, um, I like it. I mean, I think any running back who lands there is in a great spot. But a guy as explosive and has, um, I guess, niche like ETN is, um, I think that's a perfect fit for a guy like Arthur Smith to use his capabilities. Well, I'm, I'm going to use one uh, before I ask my next question that kind of ties back into all of this. And you mentioned the New York Jets, and I've seen ETN drafted there a lot. They have two first-round picks. And – now, their new offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur, brother of Matt LaFleur, and brought up in the Shanahan system. So they they have invested in the offensive line. They, they have Mekhi Becton. More than likely, uh, it's been said that Joe Douglas, he came out last week and said that he would take phone calls on Sam Darnold, which means Sam Darnold's on the block. So they're going to have a new quarterback. They're going to have this new offensive system. So if ETN lands there, I would say to 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 Angelo's point, anywhere that runs a Shanahan based, you know, zone system is going to be a good fit. And the cool thing is, it's a copycat league, and so many teams are running that right now. His his landing spots aren't thirty two like Harris, but uh, it could be better th- th- than we think. So here's my next question, and I hope it's not a repeat a no, repeat sure. answer. But uh, who is the most overrated? rookie in this class oh man uh i know it's well, tough because there's a lot of guys we love in all position i i would say not overrated but uh maybe misunderstood uh, i think it's jalen waddle um i think a lot of people are expecting him to be a you know set it and forget it wide receiver one in the near future to be a primary to be a focal point of a passing offense but if you look at how he wins you look at where he wins and there's a lack of variety that comes along with it. He, he is a 
he's a receiver that works primarily on the third level. So he's going to be your deep target. He's going to be running your double moves and, and getting open deep because he's a fantastic accelerator and he has, he has great top end speed to go along with it. But if you look at, you know, him in Alabama, he was really never the, like the guy. And, you know, obviously Devonta Smith and Judy and, and, and rugs and company there. I mean, there's a lot going on, but he's, he wasn't the guy in terms of where he got his targets. He, he wasn't a guy who worked over the middle of the field often. Uh, his route tree was pretty limited. It's either on the first level manufacturing touches form, or he's going to be on the third level, trying to take the top off the defense and blow by some DBs. Um, a guy like Devonta Smith worked on all three levels with efficiency, um, has a ton of packages in his releases. So he has a lot of things going on. Smith does that Waddle did not, but we are expecting Waddle to have the career, um, the career arc of similar to a guy like Justin Jefferson almost where it's, he's going to blow up and take off. But I think if you look at where Jalen Waddle is really a fun, explosive player, it's as a punt returner. He's the best, probably the second best special teams player we've seen since Devin Hester. And that to me is what his true value is going to be. He is going to be the best special teams player we've seen since, since Devin Hester, you know, graced us in that number four in the Miami Hurricanes uniform. Um, but that's what he is. I think he's, you know, Wild's going to have a similar career arc to a guy like Deshaun Jackson, but I don't ever think he's going to be like Jackson. I don't think he's ever going to be that you know, 130 plus target guy, right? That, I don't think that's, that's not Waddle. Um, but that doesn't mean he's going to be a bad player. I just think he's going to be a little more inconsistent for fantasy purposes than we're kind of leading on. Man, it's funny that, that you mentioned Devin Hester. I have heard so many comps for Jalen Waddle, and I will be honest, he is currently my wide receiver too. In, in my rookie rankings, I've heard Tyreek Hill, who returned punts. I've heard T.Y. Hilton, who's returned some kicks. I've heard Dante Hall, if you remember Dante ah, Hall. Yeah, Dante Hall. Yep, D- dude, I mean, all, all these comps, I mean, you, you, you can see such a spectrum of outcomes. Yeah, a lot. Because a lot of the Bears and the, and the Kansas City Chiefs, they tried to, to manufacture touches and do things with Hester and Hall in the, in the wide receiver game. It never really fired. And then you see the great success of a guy like Tyreek Hill and a guy like T.Y. Hilton. Such a wide range of outcomes for Waddle. Uh, what about you, Dallas? What, where are you at on Waddle, and do you have any follow-up questions on uh, on the overrated, I guess, Mr. Waddle? Yeah, you're my man over here tonight. Uh, last week when we had the, our conversation about this, my most overrated player was Jalen Waddle. Uh, for me... I have a floor of John Ross and a ceiling of Deshaun Jackson, and he's going to fall somewhere in that range. He's going to underwhelm, and I'm not using a top five pick on him. It's as simple as that. And so I'm not going to have him in any of my drafts. I'm, I, I, I just don't like him. This is this is like the I think this is the player that me and Memphis disagreed the most on. Interesting. <laughs> so, well, well he, he, here's my thing. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to take my rankings before because there's no point in me posting. I, I post them once a month over on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Dynasty Warzone. But I've got to go back and think this through because here's the thing. I am not so bullheaded and proud that I can't take the, the good advice of people that I trust. And the reason why I have Angelo on the show every year is because I trust Angelo's opinion of these players. And now I've heard it from my co-host. I've heard it from an amazing guest and an, an amazing analyst. I've got to go back and re and ask myself, why, what am I seeing? 
Why am I seeing it? And what do I need to do with my rankings to potentially adjust? That's what you're supposed to do. That's how you get better at that. Because these guys are going to be first-round picks, right? And you can't afford to miss on first-round picks in your rookie draft because that's the building block of the future of an awesome dynasty roster. All right, so so give us another guy. Give us your most underrated guy in this class. This is my one of my favorite questions, by the way. Give give us that underrated guy that we're going to get at value. For me, two years ago, it was my man Terry McLaren. Yeah. I, was, I was getting him around 207 to 212 in rookie drafts that year. That has paid off swimmingly. Give us your most underrated dude in this draft. My last year, I remember we talking – talk at nauseum was LaVisca Chanel Jr. Uh, this year it's Devonta Smith. I mean, I've never seen a player who has been as dominant as he has, you know, be wide receiver seven on some boards, you know, fall into the early second rounds of rookie draft. I saw him fall to 204 in a draft just yesterday. And I'm like, man, I mean, the disrespect from his guy has gone too far in my opinion. I mean, there's a guy that, I said this before, I'm going to say it again. He dominated the SEC's best cornerbacks, but he was under 170 pounds. So what does Devonta Smith do well at that high of a level to dominate four- and five-star cornerback recruits who are much bigger than he is, who play much stronger? How did he do it on a week-in, week-out basis? So the one thing that sticks out when you look at Devonta Smith is the versatility at the line of scrimmage, right? So he's a guy that can you know, manipulate the defensive back. He's a guy that can run a variety of different routes. He's has a pretty expansive route tree. He, he, he can win on you know level one to level three. He's great in contested catch situations. Uh, and the play speed, I think that's the one thing people don't understand about Smith as well is, or have a, I guess a misconception about it is he's a 10, six, 700 meter guy, right? As a hundred meter guy myself, 10, six, seven, that's not slow. You know, you're talking about, being one of the faster receivers in the NFL at that, Jalen Waddle ran 1084. You know, so I'm not saying Jalen Waddle is not fashion current Devonta Smith, but we're not looking at that wide of a gap in terms of terms of pure speed, right? Um, but he's just, you know, Smith's a guy that's gonna fall because of his size. People are worried about his size. And the one thing I always say when people ask, hey, like, should I worry about Devonta Smith's size? I say go look at who the who Alabama hired. I think it was in April of 2020. Uh, who'd they hire as their director of sports science? Dr. Matthew Rhea. Dr. Matthew Rhea is one of the smartest, most influential minds in sports science in North America. And he's one of the most well-renowned throughout the world of being a true scientist of, of human movement and of the sport of football. Did Dr. Matthew Rhea, who's this world-renowned, respected um, sports science mind, have Devonta Smith gain weight in order to dominate the SEC's best cornerbacks and win a Heisman Trophy? No. So why should we worry about Devonta Smith doing similar things at the NFL level when he still has minds like that advising him what to do with his body in order to perform at the highest level? That's that's my take on it is we often worry – you know, we worry about things we don't really know much about. And we see the game being played in a much different way than it was in 2008. You know, Brandon Marshall actually is my favorite receivers of all time. Uh, former Chicago Bear, great. Um, he was on 
they did their uh, HOA combine. Um, I think it was yesterday and they went earlier on the week too. It was fantastic to watch. He made a really good comment of, uh, he doesn't, he's like, I don't worry about receivers now being, you know, sub 180 anymore because the game is being played differently than I played it. Right. When I played it, cornerbacks were, were really physical. You know, now you see a lot more zone. You see a lot more off man. Um, you didn't see that when a guy like Marshall played in his heyday. And he's right. I mean, the guys today like Stefan Diggs, um, you, you have guys back in the day like Torrey Holt, Marvin Harrison, and then T.Y. Hilton, obviously, in, you know, in Indianapolis. And when Andrew Luck was tossing the rock in his heyday, um, there's a lot of guys who succeed without having, you know, that prototypical alpha size that a guy like Jamar Chase has, Devontae Adams has, DeAndre Hopkins. These guys don't. A lot of these guys don't play at the weight that you know they say they play. Ocho Cinco came out in his "I Am Athlete" podcast, which is awesome to watch. If you guys haven't listened to that man, it's fantastic. He's like, man, I played at one seventy. This Chad Ocho Cinco, he was regarded as actually at one point the best receiver in the NFL, and he's saying he's playing at one hundred and seventy pounds. Right, that's the type of stuff for me. I'm you know like being a sport sports performance professional. Like I don't worry about weight. Because there's guys much, much smarter than me who are making these decisions. Well, you you absolutely you, you hit on one of my favorite comps for him, and that is Marvin Harrison. Now, I, I've done my research. I've tried to find Marvin Harrison combine metrics. I cannot find him, but I can tell you that he weighed in at 181 pounds, and he was just a just a an eyelash short of six feet. And as a guy who watched a ton of his games and just he wasn't the biggest guy, 180 pounds, six foot tall, um, very similar to Devonta Smith. And uh, guys, th- th- this is why, we, again, we bring all these awesome people on. This is the second amazing analyst that have had him very high. Our man, Ray Garvin at Ray GQ calls this man the Slim Reaper. And uh, he's right. The game is not played today. And I heard Greg Cosell when he was talking about wide receivers on a podcast I was listening to, they, they, they were talking about, you can nitpick any prospect to death. He's like, but I mean, we talked about this earlier with Travis Etienne. Is the coaching staff going to put him in a position to be successful? So I, I think this is a great call. Uh, now, I know you're a Devonta Smith guy there. Uh, you, you pushed back on me last week, Dallas. What, what are your thoughts on Javonta Smith before we hit this man with one more good question? Yeah, for me, Devonta Smith is the... He's the enigma in the class for me. I don't really know how to feel about him just due to the fact where it's another Alabama receiver. This one's the most undersized, but I watched him do what he did this year. Uh, the thing is, it was a weird year, but I have one of my rules that I follow over the last couple of years is Heisman winners get my vote of confidence going into fantasy football drafts, regardless of who they are. Because if you look back track record wise, just over the last decade, who you consider busts out of these players. So you have Joe Burrow. It's early. I wouldn't call him a bust even remotely. Kyler Murray, smash out of the park. Baker Mayfield, middle of the road. Lamar Jackson, smash of the park. Derrick Henry, smash of the park. You can, I don't, want to hear anything about his first two years anymore (laughs) i'm done with that talk uh marcus mariota bust right Jameis winston bust those would be the two that i would consider busts continuing to go back i'm I'm not going to sit here and listen to you besmirch the good name of Jameis winston (laughs) he's getting ready to get his starting i'm kidding 
He's in the middle of the road. You, you, a guy with 30 touchdowns and 5,000-yard passing, you at least got to give that man middle of the road. I, the only reason that I call him a bust, along with Marcus Mariota, is he did not play last year. You got one yeah. game out of him. Well, so he, that, he, that, he, he'll be okay. Well, one thing I forgot right. to bring up, we were talking about my man Marvin Harrison and his slight mm-hmm. frame. And Marvin did play a Hall of Fame career. Uh, and he had the hell, you know, he played when defensive backs could beat the hell out of you. And, and not only d- did he play at a high level, he played against much more aggressive defensive backs. I think Marvin Harrison had eight straight years of 10 plus touchdowns. Yeah. Gang, don't, don't, don't sell yourself short on, on, on this guy because you quote unquote heard on fantasy Twitter that he's a little small. All right. I'm going to get you out of here. We have a couple more quick questions for you. Sure. Give us the next James Robinson. Now, we're not asking you to give us a small school guy that's going to be a top five fantasy producer up until like the fantasy playoffs. That We're not putting that level of pressure on you. But give us a guy, maybe he went to a Southern Illinois or an Appalachian State or somewhere like that. Give us a small school guy that we need to keep on the radar that we can pluck maybe in the fourth round as opposed to like the fifth round or undrafted free agent because uh, you've seen some stuff through your predictive model that uh, will give us an inside edge. I think it's funny because it's not going to be a guy that's going to be as, you know, a Southern Illinois or, you know, a smaller school. It's going to be a guy who produced at a high level uh, in a pretty difficult conference, but went to a very, it's an awful football school. And that's Puka Williams Jr. Uh, do I think he's going to be a James Robinson in terms of rushing or close? Puka, Puka Williams is like 5'8", 170 pounds. And that's not going to, that's not going to be how it rolls. But we forget, man. Puka had over 1,400 total yards and nine touchdowns as a freshman. That's like those are numbers that are pretty unheard of, right? Especially in a bigger conference like like where Kansas plays. So, you know, in the Big 12. So it's for me, it's it's Puka is going to be a guy that is a Tariq Cohen hybrid type player. I think he's a better version of what we think Kadarius Tony really is, right? And I think that's what we're looking at when we get Puka Williams is he, you know, he can play in the slot. He's, he's a, a good runner, aggressive out of the backfield, um, better strength, play strength than, he give, than he's given credit for. But he's going to be a guy that if, a, if an NFL team wants that kind of joker hybrid type player, it's going to be Puka. And I, I love what he does on film. I mean, if you want to watch some, some fun high school tape, Puka Williams Jr. Literally drop kick the guy. This has nothing to do with fantasy football, but he drop kicked a guy like out of bounds, like in high school. This is the most absurd play you've ever seen in your whole life. But there are a couple of high school tapes that I go back to, but I just want to have fun and just watch. Noel Devine is one of them. If you guys ever know Noel Devine, former um, West Virginia Mountaineer. Um, and then Puka Williams Jr. Uh, I think Puka Williams will have a, a better NFL career than Devine had, but he's a player similar to that of Tariq Cohen, where we forget Tariq Cohen was RB9 like three years ago because he caught all those passes. He had, you know, it was him and Jordan Howard in the backfield. He had a decent rushing workload. Uh, the Bears were an okay scoring offense for once. But if, let's say, Puka goes to a place like the New Orleans Saints and he can be that secondary back to a, a guy like Kamara or he goes to, I don't know, man, let's say a place like um, Detroit and they kind of split a workload you know, 75-25 with a guy like, you know, DeAndre Swift. But somewhere where he can he can get, 
you know, he can get a lot of work out of the backfield and, and be a be a playmaker for a team. But he's a guy I've I've liked since he was a freshman at Kansas. He he's a playmaker. Uh, he's gonna play special teams. He's probably gonna return kicks and punts. But he's someone that's kind of that, you know, he's that spark to an NFL offense that he might get drafted on day three. He might be undrafted, but he's someone I'm I'm kind of gobbling up in you know, the fourth, fifth round of rookie drafts. All right. Well, that, that's a really good one. When you start laying out those scenarios, I kind of popped in my head and I know Daryl Henderson truthers everywhere will hate me. But I was thinking of like a nice compliment with Cam Akers, especially in that Shanahan in that Shanahan via McVay offense. So that's a good one. All right, Dallas, I'm going to uh, hit him with the last question. But what do you have on Puka? Yeah, really quick with Puka, I I have a hard time envisioning him coming out of the backfield at the next level. I really think he's going to have he's the type of player that needs to make a transition to wide receiver, kind of what we're expecting. Fenton out of UCLA to do. I, I you gave me the Cohen comp. I'm a Bears fan. I didn't know if you know this or not, but oh, nice. Uh, nice. yeah. So the thing with Cohen is Cohen's ten pounds heavier than what Puka is right now, or what Puka most likely will be. So unless Puka puts on some weight, which he's got the frame to do, you're going to be having a light frame wide receiver running routes in the backfield which like yeah it's cool on gadget plays and stuff like that but i saw too many years of i'm i'm in kc so i watch a lot of kansas city tape as well i saw too many years of d'anthony thomas trying to gadget plays to a guy who is basically puka's size identical and that was black mamba he was the kobe of the nfl coming out of oregon if you remember he was so athletic but with guys like that i it's just not the, it's not, it doesn't fit with my brain. What I see when I see him on the field, I'm like, he looks like a wide receiver running out of the backfield. And that's something I do not think is going to work at the next level. So yes, I'm all here for the gadget plays, but I would be more comfortable with him transitioning into a short passing game gadget kind of play. Um, maybe, a, I mean, I know he's more athletic than Jamison Crowder, but basically that really short sure. type routes that you're getting from Jamison Crowder from Puka because he's going to give you that extra burst after the catch. So I, I, I need yeah. to be on board with Puka. That's a really good point. Uh, when you look at me, I'm a Bears fan too. I don't know if you knew that. i uh, born and raised in Chicago. Um, but it was similar how the Bears used Tariq Cohen early on in last season, 2020. Remember when he, he, really, he, played, in the, he really played in the slot for the first mm-hmm. three, four games, but he was absolutely awful. Absolutely off was a primary slot receiver because remember Anthony Miller was a hurt and B can you know he doesn't remember the playbook, and so we had Tariq Cohen running out of the slot most of the time. Didn't work out very well. So that's kind of the allure of a guy like Puka is where he he can do both. Is he going to be great at either? The answer is probably no. Is he better off shifting to a wide receiver type mold? Um, probably. I mean that that's going to be where he makes his probably makes his money if he's going to stick in the NFL. But I think he's a better rusher than Cohen. I don't think Cohen's a good runner at all. Hundred um, percent. But that could be somewhere where he sticks. But you know, at a fourth, fifth round draft price, I mean, if he lands in a good spot, he might he might get some run. Let's say if he lands in um, San Francisco, like the the litany of injuries they had at running back last year. You know, we saw Jamichael Hasty get some run. He he got hurt too. You know, we saw Wilson get a ton of run. He got hurt. So it all takes us some opportunity, but he's a guy I think it's a really interesting um, kind of unique package at the at the position in this year's draft. 
He's a budget right, guy yeah. that I actually like a lot in Miami, just with Tua's skill set. Oh, be great. Short. They got a lot of big towers on the outside. Just keep that in mind for like the fourth or fifth round. That'd be yeah, that'd be that'd be a really interesting fit in Miami, I think too, because I think Flores is going to want to get the ball to his hand pretty quick, and I think you know that's going to be a big big deal with them. And they might you know at, at three, I don't know what you think they do at three. I think they go Jamar Chase at three, um, but later on in the draft, they're going to need to get some weapons. You know, weapons surrounding them. Jakeem Grant isn't really doing much. So they need to replace him and, and play that role a little better, and Puka Williams could potentially do that. And uh, Miami's got like nine total draft picks. They, Dude, they have so many. Run. All right, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap this one up on a two parter. So here we go. Um, since Dallas brought his name up, Demetric Felton, uh, another guy that I'm very intrigued by. Give me uh, the 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 thumbnail version of Demetric Felton, and uh, what is your best advice for dynasty GMs during rookie season? Man, Demetric Felton, I don't know. He, he's a really interesting player because he's probably going to play in the slot in the NFL. He looked really good on one-on-ones in the senior bowl. Really good. Looked really comfortable. Looked like a more natural fit than at running back. So that's what I'm, you know, you're looking for him to play in the slot. And that's what he probably will do. Um, do I think he's going to be a mega producer? But no, but maybe like a, you know, like an Amendola type player where it's, he's might end up being a safety blanket for an NFL offense one day uh, as he kind of grows in the position, but I like him. I like him right after the catch. Um, but I think in terms of what we're looking at, kind of like, like the Adam Humphreys, maybe, you know, Amendola, um, you mentioned Jameson Crowder, Crowder. That's another really good one. That short to intermediate target um, that could get yards after the catch. But I think that's kind of what we're looking at with him. I think he can provide some upside out of the backfield and on manufactured touches that some of those guys, like I mentioned, Amendola and Humphreys and Crowder don't really provide. So that's a really interesting upside to him. But again, it's going to be where he's going to get drafted. And that's going to be the interesting part. Let's say he goes to Kansas City. Man, wheels are kind of up. They don't really have a primary slot receiver in Kansas City. You know, Tyree Kill runs out of the slot some. Sammy Watkins isn't that, you know, he's not it anymore. Um, but, you know, Demarcus Robinson's not it there either. So, that could be an interesting fit for Andy Reid to play around with another chess piece to go along with the, you know, the versatility they have on offense. Um, but number one advice I have, um, gobble up 2023 first because you're going to have guys like Tank Bigsby, Bajan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, Kayshawn Bouti. You know, you're going to have guys who are potentially extremely high level NFL producers, um, because next year, in my opinion, is a pretty down year at both positions at running back and receiver. Um, I like guys like David Bell, but I don't think you know he's not going to be a Devonta Smith or Jamar Chase of this class in terms of talent-wise, right? Um, in terms of upside as well. But yeah, I think it's you know next year's going to be a down year. Besides, you know, I mean, Brees Hall's a good back. I don't think he's anything spectacular, um, but he's a good back that's probably going to be an early day two pick but there's not going to be guys like Najee Harris, I don't think, in the next class or have the upside, let's say, a guy like Travis Etienne. There's going to be kind of – it's kind of like the 2019 class all over again when there's good players, but there's not really any like great talents at the running back position in particular. Well, what I like that you said there, you talk about the class of 2023, and that will be around the time where Derrick Henry will be going into year – I think that'll be, that will be year eight because this is year six next year. Yeah, that, he'll be year going eight. into year eight. Same with Zeke. And that could open up a lot of primary bell cow 
tight back rolls, and that would be like a nice transition point. I absolutely love that because one thing we pride ourselves on a lot here at the DWZ Football Network is trying to give the GMs that listen to our show some actionable advice to uh, to make things happen. So if you've got a good, young, solid roster, maybe you have a nice mix of like you know Nick Chubb and DeAndre Swift, and maybe you've got a pick and you can keep your running back room young, maybe you don't be afraid to trade that 20 21 second for a 2023 first and you know it's kind of like like an investment that will pay you back in in the future so i like that quite a bit dallas what questions do you have to follow up before we uh we get this man back on about his evening yeah uh, i've been asking everyone my two guys in this class specifically are michael carter and tamori and terry uh Who's your favorite out of the two? And tell me what you like the best about him. I want to, I want to get fluffed up tonight. Let's hear it. Oh, man. Okay, Michael Carter is probably – and I said this. I, I think I, I replied to someone's uh, like Twitter thread um, a couple of days ago. But Michael Carter has the best cognitive skill set of any back in this class, him and Trey Sermon. Um, and so he's going to fit right into any NFL offense. You mentioned him being a satellite back earlier, and I think that's that's probably correct. But he's a back like an Austin Eckler who will start there but can grow into a bigger role because of, you know, the intuitive sense they bring to the table. And, you know, he's just a dang good football player. That's what he is. Um, and he's so, Ray Rice. Oh, I like that. I I, I think, he, yeah, he's a really, really interesting player. Um, I like him a lot. I think he's going to be a value in rookie drafts too. He's probably going to end up being a starting off his career as a, a good secondary um, rushing option out of the backfield. But Tamari on Terry, man, oh, Dude, he was literally so. I before the season, I always do my you know who has the who has the basically you know the keys of the ship who who might ascend up into the atmosphere and be like this absolute superstar. And before the injury to Terry and before the awful coaching staff and all that bad stuff about the Florida State football program, it was Tamari and Terry. He was a you know Bolitnikoff um, preseason finalist, um, but are on that watch list, but I mean, he's at six, four, 215 pounds. You know, he's reached over 23.4 miles an hour on the field of play. Uh, he's extremely raw. And if he lands into a spot like Kansas city, we're going to see him right now. He's in the, probably the early third round of rookie drafts. He's going to go in the first round of rookie drafts. And I said this before a guy like Terry, if, if he gets the vote of confidence from a guy like Andy Reid, and it's, Obviously, there's a one in 32 chance this happening, but he has the skill set, you know, and the athletic capabilities to be a high level NFL producer if he figures it out. And so those are guys I'm taking shots on the third round, but he's a guy he's people are going to go crazy. People go crazy for anyone in Andy Reid's offense, let alone a guy who's 6'4", 215 pounds and has ran fast and Tyree Kill on the field of play. That I mean, that's the type of guy he is, right? He's going to be a guy that fits really well in the vertical passing offense. Uh, my two best fits for him are Kansas City um, and uh, with the L.A. Chargers as well. I think those two would be, be great spots for him to to kind of grow and showcase his skills. But, yeah, he's going to he'd be an absolute massive riser if he lands in a vertical passing offense. And Kansas City would be – dude, he'd be going like 112 in some spots. I guarantee you. And it'd be, it'd be crazy. I don't think I'd take him that high. But um, he would definitely ascend into those into the back half of the uh, first round of rookie drafts. 
I was going to say specifically for KC, the issue that a lot of people always have with pairing specific wide receivers to the Kansas City offense is that they predicate speed more than anything. So ever since Dwayne Bowe left, we have not had a towering wide receiver because we don't believe in them when they don't have speed. Terry is that guy that can be the towering wide receiver we need for those 50-50 jump balls that Mahomes likes to throw to Tyreek, who just has incredible ups, but also feasibly could run in the four threes. So when I see Terry, I hope he falls. I hope he falls so that he's a value for Casey to take where they took Mecole. Like, even if they take him at the back end of the second, like that's, that's early, but like you give me him in the third, fourth, or even fifth round, as long as he lands in an offense that is going to use him the correct way, because I, I've talked to Memphis about this, his seam route, from the interior is one of the dirtiest things I've ever seen someone that big do. It is unblockable. It's peak Vernon Davis is what I always tell people. If you want to see a seam route that's not blockable, it's Tamarian Terry, Vernon Davis. I am going to be doing backflips if he lands in Casey. No, he, yeah, he's he's a fun player, man. He, he's fun to watch. And, and when you evaluate him, one thing you appreciate is he's a really high-quality mover too. Uh, at that size in particular. So that's what, something that jumps out as me is, can he run a more diverse route tree than Florida State let him? And I think the answer to that is yes. Uh, is he more than the vertical option? We won't know, but I think he can be. Obviously, the drops are a problem. The concentration drops, um, that type of thing is an issue. But one thing that I think that's interesting is he was a really good gunner on special teams too, a really good gunner. And that's going to help his NFL draft stock a bit. Um, if he checks out medically, uh, I know he had a cleaning procedure on his knee, I believe. Um, and he also had some character issues. So if he interviews well, checks out medically, checks both those boxes with flying colors, NFL teams will want to take a shot on him because he is a versatile player. He's, he's He can be a primary option in the vertical passing offense one day, and he's going to help you out on special teams. So, I mean, I'm a big believer in Tamari Ontario um, and, and, you know, his potential but where he lands is going to have a lot to do with how much success he has early on in his career. Well, this is why we bring this man on. One of the best in the game today. you got to get over to angeloanalysis.com. Get on that email list. I'm on the email list. It will serve you quite well. Angelo, what else is going on, man? What do you want these people to know? Any Patreon, anything like that? we got a, a great group of listeners here, very supportive of the community and the work. I love it, man. Uh, well, thank you guys again for having me on. I appreciate it. And Dallas is the first time I've been on with you, so it's definitely been a pleasure. Um, but, yeah, you can basically find me at angeloanalysis.com, man. I mean, and on Twitter, at Angelo underscore fantasy. A lot of things I'm doing now is the AGS, um, the Ascension Grain Systems, has gone up. Um, receivers and running backs are up. The first batch of those are out. Um, so you can catch those on there. You know, guys like Kyle Pitts, who I have rated as a wide receiver, actually. Uh, Devonta Smith, you know, Jamar Chase and, you know, Najee Harrison company are all up there and in, in their specific tiers and graded out. And then the Y series, that's kind of the fun stuff, right? So it's how these players fit into the NFL today. And what do we see with these players that makes them unique, right? These are all prospects. No prospects is no prospect is the same, but what are these guys, what, what are their ceilings and floors? And what does that look like at the NFL level and how are they going to be deployed and, and what, what's their unique skill set and things of that nature. So that's all up on the website. And you can catch a lot of that stuff on Twitter in terms of announcements. And uh, Memphis you know, mentioned the email list. So I send out an email every single week when things go up on the website, just, just so people are in the know of when, when things are dropping. And, um, and so they can kind of you know, get, get to the goods and, um, and, and read up about it. 
Well, there you go, man. He is a, a great guest, and I look forward to this conversation every single rookie draft season. And uh, on behalf of that man, his name is Angelo, and on behalf of my co-host Dallas, my name is Memphis. And remember, here at the DWZ, we're just trying to make the world a better place for fantasy football. We'll see you back here with more Rookie Insight next Sunday. Thank you, guys. Hey, fellow Warzone listeners. My name is Zach Camps. Uh, I'm not golfing or slinging my hands a monster. I'm usually thinking about Dynasty Fantasy Football. A couple months back, I joined the Patreon just to take my Dynasty passion to the next level. And I'll tell you what, well, let's just say there's writer downers for days in the Patreon. As a member, you get access to the bonus pod where the guys take the filter off and talk about a wide variety of topics that maybe they won't cover on the normal show. You also get access to Memphis and Jerry for one-on-one advice, personal dynasty dilemmas. They'll tackle them for you, help you out with it. You just don't get that anywhere else. But I'd say my favorite part about the Depth of Patreon is the uh, the group chat. Tell you what, these guys are some excellent minds, tons of fun. The fire in there is amazing. Great platform to post trade questions, debate rookie values, share insight, interact with some cool people from across the globe. You know, Shout out to those guys in Australia. They're blowing my phone up all the time. You know, the best part is there's no Twitter trolls or Facebook trolls arguing about stuff they don't know anything about. So uh, if you want to enjoy your dynasty experience even more, win those championships, pause the podcast right now, sign up, and you can thank me later in the group chat. All right, so... Chris Sims, he watches tape, but I think what's is even more important is he's not afraid to buck convention. B-U-C-K, buck convention. And I saw it when I listened to his draft special last year. You know, he, he went through and he had his five best cornerbacks, his five best DNs, his five, you know, each position group. And there were more than a few times he said, I know this guy is the clear number one on the boards. I've got him sixth Hmm. or fifth. And I mean, it's like, now what I would have thought was, okay, I feel good about my opinion. The market, though, is wisdom of crowds. I think the guy's maybe fifth. The market thinks he's first. I'm going to say third because I'm figuring I'm missing something. And I'm not sure that's the wrong way to do it, to be honest. But the fact he's going, he didn't say it was close. He goes, I'm going to tell you it's not even close. There's nothing to gain from that because he's already out on a limb. So if it ends up Zach Wilson's better, he wins. Mm. By making it even more extreme, he's just telling you the truth, his truth as he's seeing it. And he came out recently. I think it was earlier today. We're taping on Wednesday at the pregame.com offices, Wednesday night. And he said, Zach Wilson is better than Trevor Lawrence, and it's not even close. Wow. Now, I've been, you would call a Trevor Lawrence skeptic. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's counter points here. Mike Lombardi, who I value greatly as an NFL uh, analyst, an expert, he said Trevor Lawrence would go first in any draft. This guy might be the best prospect he's ever seen. So there's certainly... Contrary opinions. I do feel like the fact that there's a serious person saying this, I think it deserves celebration. Just because it's so different. It's a true expert putting himself on the line. 
And number two, I think it speaks to maybe Trevor Lawrence's uh, armor has a few dings in it. Let's look at some work we did originally. Pregame.com originated it. Clemson, when they're favored in the Trevor Lawrence era, by 10 or more points. And if we look at Trevor Lawrence in these competitive games, and we're defining that by not favored by double digits. So that means you're favored by nine. It's a competitive game. Jesus, this guy with the blonde hair. All right, so in the 32 games he played that were not competitive coming in, his completion percentage was almost 70%, and his yards per attempt were almost nine. That's outstanding. Now, in the four games he played that were competitive. Now, let's go through these. 198, or check that, 2018 National Championship game. Clemson was a five-and-a-half-point underdog against Alabama. In the 2019 National Semifinal, two-and-a-half-point favorite Clemson over Ohio State. In the National Championship game that same year, Clemson a five-and-a-half-point underdog versus LSU. And finally... When the Buckeyes rubbed their face in the dirt in the national semifinals this year, Clemson was a touchdown favorite, and we're even calling that competitive. In those games, his completion percentage, Trevor Lawrence, was 10 points, percentage points less. 69 when they, against the Osserans, 59. It's like Joe Namath style. 59. This is like 1977. Oh, my gosh, he's great. But when he plays anyone halfway close... 59% completion. Oh, I'm sure there was some reason, the wind or something. Yards per attempt down from 8.9 to 8.2. Now, I get you're supposed to play better against lesser competition, but this is, uh, looks like it's like the Baltimore Ravens of quarterbacks. They beat up on lesser Bully ball. You know, I, I got to be honest, the 8-9 versus the 8-2, I think is A-OK. In fact, I mean, remember, he's pounding Vanderbilt and run after catch and the like, but I think you nailed it. That completion percentage basically just under 70% against the cupcakes, but under 60% against the elite teams. And guess what? His NFL opponents on defense are going to look better than these opponents he had in college, the four elite teams he had to play in college. And listen, I'm not saying that even these numbers – I mean, I do think that 59% is too little, but it is a disparity. Now, this runs in – the contrast, I guess, with Zach Wilson. And I would make the following point, or I guess it's what Sims was saying, was he reminds him of Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, thrown from the different arm position. Now, again, I am not judge. I can't judge quarterbacks, especially at the college level. But when you got a guy who's not afraid to buck convention and you got a Trevor Lawrence that has all the trappings of groupthink, I think we are in a situation, and I'd love a bet as much as I like. In a way, groupthink is why Trevor Lawrence would keep getting chances. Sam Donald, if he was a, a, a fifth-round choice, might be out of the league right now. 